listeners, you're listening to Beckett's Babies. We're your hosts, Sam Collier. And Sarah Cho. And today is, or this episode, is the exciting start of our new series of um, discussing a play. We pick a play of the month and we discuss it. And this month's play was Claire Barron's Dance Nation. Very excited to talk about this. It is one of the winners of 2015 Relentless Award finalist for Pulitzer and winner of Susan Smith Blackburn Prize. Now, if you haven't read it, I don't know why you didn't read it. We told you like <laughs> three weeks in advance. But to tell you a little short summary of the play, this is a play about somewhere in America, a revolution is coming. An army of preteen competitive dancers plot to take over the world one routine at a time. In Claire Barron's raucous pageant of ambition and ferocity these young dancers have more than choreography on their minds because every plie and jeté is a <laughs> step toward finding themselves in a fight to unleash their power awesome play let's get to it sam that's right um yeah and i'm i'm glad that you mentioned that it was one of the winners of the relentless award because the other winner that year was the wolves and so in my mind, these two plays have always been grouped together, although this was the first time I actually read it. So um, so we thought we would take the Iowa Playwrights Workshop approach to responding to plays in which we start by just observing what we notice and then move into things we liked and then um, or what's working and then questions we have about the play. And we would really love to hear from you all as well if anything we say sparks any conversation um, or ideas in your mind, let us know. So, well, I think the first thing I noticed about the play is what Claire Barron is doing with font. It's really cool how she uses the page to kind of capture the rhythm or the volume of the dialogue. Um, especially towards the end, she has these giant words on the page, and um, but she also uses really tiny words when somebody, I guess, is whispering or nervous. Um, and then she has ellipses um, to capture pauses or, I guess, people thinking or hesitating. So that's the first thing I noticed. What about you, Sarah? Yeah. Uh, I think the same. Like. If you were to grab this play and you just flip through it, I was just intrigued by the use of the fonts and the sizing of the fonts and how every page just felt a little different in terms of the look of it. Like mm -hmm. the way she italicized certain speeches or um, I was like, is this the thought of the character's minds that we're reading right now? Um and also one thing I've noticed is just how present her voice was throughout the, in the stage directions. Like yeah. really, it, it really felt like I w was reading her recounting a memory or something like this uh. is her, like it really felt like she, this was an experience. It feels like an experience that she went through Claire Barron or maybe like, or she really knows it well. Mm -hmm. um, and it just felt like I was put into this world. And, mm -hmm. and that's the other thing too. I liked is like, I think if you don't have any dance experience, it felt like you knew the dance experience. Like it, 
the way the way it was written because I think it's it's so much more about the the competitiveness of all amongst the girls and the that that you could probably relate to or you could recognize and then mm-hmm. that sort of like transcended the whole dance and then the dance was a big part of it that and also theatrically like dance is something you'd see on stage like mm-hmm. um so that was i don't i cannot imagine anywhere else having this sort of similar experience watching a dance piece that you could i mean there's documentaries about dance and cheerleading and there's movie bring it on but it's not the same <laughs> i think it's the way you would love to see it live what about how she has them when they're auditioning for the part of, of Gandhi, oh. um, how she has them like stand still but dance with their face. Mm-hmm. I love that idea. Yes. Um, um, first of all, Gandhi. Like <laughs> these <laughs> girls are just so passionate. They're just so like they want to be Gandhi so badly, but and they don't the- even know who he was. No, yeah, <laughs> and it's hilarious. It's hilarious. The role of, and then and then the the play evolves to like the spirit of Gandhi. That was re- that was created. Oh, yeah. Um, does yes. Um, and I think there was in the the casting mm-hmm. where. Sh- it says, okay, so I'll read it quickly. It says, the dancers should take up time and space and be fully and gorgeously embodied performative events, even if the actors possess no real dance talent. Mm-hmm. In fact, better if the actors possess no real dance talent at all. So it's like, yeah. so it's just like the idea of they're just like so much weight into the importance of what this dance means to the girls and they really don't know how to dance. <laughs> and I love the idea that visual. they're playing they're playing 13-year-olds, but she says the actors themselves can range in age from 12 to 75 plus. So, you know, I was imagining this kind of collection of actors who are all different ages, who are um, you know, remembering or reflecting or sharing what it what it felt like to be 13 um, from a place of distance, maybe. What do you think about that? Like, like what if this play were played by like 40, 50 year olds, but they're playing 13 year olds. Like how would that change the play for you? Um, I think I think it might take time for me to sort of adjust to that reality. Um, but I think it's it would be hilarious either to, to see no matter <laughs> yeah. what. I it, love it, that I, idea. I just like I, – I love this I, this this um, juxtaposition of like – and the thing is if you really think about it and I like that 13-year-old versions of us is like within us no matter what, yeah. that younger selves – is it it may have grown manifested in different ways as we got older but that is still part of who we are as an adult mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. shaped who we are as an adult so it's like tapping into that It'd be i think for a performer should be like fun to do um but yeah definitely yeah well and there's um there's that moment now, of course, I'm not going to be able to find it where two of the characters are talking about like one day 
20 years from now, I'm going to come visit you in your apartment. Um, and we're going to remember this moment. And I was just thinking that would be such a cool monologue to witness being said by somebody in their thirties who actually is 20 years after 13 years old. And, Mm. um, that, that kind of double vision you could achieve in a production where, you know, I, I think that's the kind of thing theater can do that film really can't do, which is because you're suspending disbelief and because it's all so obviously pretend to begin with, mm. you really can have somebody on stage be simultaneously 13 years old and 33 years old and you can believe it. Um, and then they can go back to being 13 years old a breath later and it, it, and you just go with it. And I think that's really exciting to think about. So Sarah, what were some of your favorite moments? Oh man. I think I really love the exchange between the character. Um, one of the characters, Zuzu, her mm -hmm. mom, Zuzu's mom <laughs> mm -hmm. and the dance dance teacher Pat. Yeah. This whole exchange was just so funny to me. Like we see these girls uh exercising or like doing their dance exercises, their demi plies and they're working on it. And then we see this conversation between two adults who are the really I think the only adults in this play yeah. who are like present and they're just like like Zuzu's mom really speaking on behalf of Zuzu and like and dance teacher Pat like they're they're <laughs> they act like they are they have such authority mm -hmm. but I'm like from what place are they like I don't believe this <laughs> like they're just so they're just like horrible adults <laughs> right right um, right and they're kind of um parasitic in a way like they get their mm -hmm. power especially dance teacher pat gets his power from having power over these girls which is so bizarre yeah. you know it's like that his yeah. his whole identity is wrapped up in having power over these 13 year old girls and making them feel bad and it, it makes me wonder like the place that this teacher is coming from obviously he was a failed teacher like a failed dancer mm. <laughs> or something like I, mm. you know what they say like if you can't do you teach you know whatever mm -hmm. and then so which is a I, very problematic perspective but yes, in this yes, case maybe yes. true <laughs> yes um and then he just says like the most horrible thing and then we talked about this offline where he says you know like do it for the poor, the people who are hungry, like dance for them. You know, it, the priorities on this teacher's mind is clearly bonkers. Like, Right. Um, and he's trying to make the girls feel horrible in order to get a good dance performance out of them. So yeah. he's like telling them, you know, yeah. there are girls in the world who are abused. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. think about that before you go out and dance. Yeah. Just um, so vile. Oh, and okay, so I want to read this real quickly. Zuzu's mom on mm -hmm. page 30, which 
in the same way the way that dance teacher pat is is like they're trying to be this loving place coming from a loving place but it's like very critical yeah yeah um, so like zuz's mom is like you know she may be more technically skilled than you you know but it doesn't matter it's a heart that matters you know she may be flawless but it doesn't matter because she doesn't dance with any heart you know what i'm saying you have heart that's why she'll never really beat you even if she wins but it was like a comment disguise like a compliment disguised as like an insult (laughs) yeah she's technically more skilled than you but you you're good just the way you are even though she'll probably win but you'll do fine (laughs) right oh yeah Yeah. it's yeah and yet it feels very true to i think the way that parents sometimes try to encourage their kids by saying exactly the the wrong thing Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah I really loved the monologues in this play and I thought Ashley's monologue in particular where she's talking about um like how hot she is and how powerful she's gonna be one day and she's using all this really kind of crude obscene language to talk about the kind of power she wants to have when she's in her 20s and and it's all sexualized but in this way that you know as a 13 year old girl she doesn't really understand what she's talking Mm -hmm. about Mm -hmm. um but but just that kind of unabashed ambition and hunger and longing um, that she shows and, and, and you get the sense that this is, you know, something she's hasn't actually said out loud to anybody, but, but is kind of what she's thinking. And I just found myself thinking throughout this play in moments like that, um, that so much is lost of girls ambition when they become 14 or 15 or 16 like there's a way in which this kind of hunger and Mm -hmm. and confidence gets crushed out of them by high school Mm. um and obviously not for everybody and obviously not all in the same ways but um but but they still have this confidence and ambition of childhood um and also as they're kind of coming into themselves as teenagers that I think it goes away somehow by the time they by the time teenage girls become 17 or 18 I mean they have a different kind of power and a different kind of ambition and confidence but um but it's like it's it feels so raw or so untempered by um I don't know societal pressures Mm. yeah um for me i i was just like reading and i was like there's there's a lot of truth here where i felt like yeah it's okay to be nasty (laughs) like yeah like it's Mm -hmm. okay for girls to express themselves this way or like i mean i i was like Mm -hmm. wow there's a lot here that was so honest about a young girl's experience and how girls are saying like don't act this way that's not you know appropriate that's not right yet you shouldn't act or that certain way or say those words right and so to see it and like to um read it and imagine i was like 
wow, like this is so ballsy in a way that it's very exciting. <laughs> um, yeah. And right. I think and it, that they're allowed yeah. to be um, horny, <laughs> you know? Like, yes. I feel like it, our culture talks a lot about young boys in that way, mm-hmm. but, but really avoids it. I'm talking yeah. about young, young, like teenage girls. Mm-hmm. Totally. Um, yeah, the Ashley's monologue on page 57. I mean, it's amazing. I love, it's amazing. Like, I love her aspiration. She's like, I want, I want to be a fucking surgeon. I want to be a genius <laughs> poet. I want to be great at sex. Like, I want to do all these things. Yeah. But, she, but I love how she always comes back, back to like, her uh you know i want to be just good at sex like it's just like i want right. everyone to love me i'm gonna taste good you know <laughs> and then but then where she ends up is what am i gonna do with all this power you know like yeah. she has this question and she feels kind of overwhelmed by her own potential and possibilities mm. um and i also loved to the honesty in capturing like these really difficult conversations between the girls about their own, you know, it's really hard. I think for, for two girls who are dancers to reconcile the fact that one of them is better. Mm. And, and, and I love that Claire Barron doesn't shy away from that conversation. Like it's hard for the girl who's the better dancer and it's hard for the girl who's not at good at dancing. And, and and the conversations feel so true and honest um, in capturing that awkwardness. Yeah. You know, how do you have a hard conversation with your friend when you're jealous of her? I'm trying to think about this, but do you think that experience is different for girls and boys? I like, don't know. Because I'm thinking – yeah. Go ahead. I I'm – I don't. I honestly don't know because I wonder if boys at that age have the similar experience of like, oh, he's better than me, or like, do they compete for like, do they fight physically? I I'm like I. Something with girls is this. The emotions are just so. Um, I'm not saying. I'm not saying it's not as. I'm not saying boys' feelings are not complex, but. Um, <laughs> I I think it, there's this whole other layer and I of female competition mm-hmm. that that is different from like male competition. Like I I don't know because and I think that's what this play this I felt like it kept sort of touching on what that female competition looks like and how that affects friendships. Mm-hmm. Cuz yeah, like I've heard this people saying this but it's like you know, like women hate other women more than men, you know, something like there's something mm. about that, that people, they say that for a reason. And I think um, there's, I don't know, there's, yeah. Well, and I think there's something to the constantly shifting social dynamics among girls. Like there, it seems to me like, and what I remember from, you know, being this age is that you're never quite sure where you stand in the social order and Mm. um and you know you can get you can say something mean to somebody 
and your social status rises or falls depending on like yeah you know how another girl in the room hears that and you know some and it's so unpredictable like sometimes you say something mean and you're suddenly cool and other times you say something mean and like you could not be lower (laughs) right and and maybe this is true for boys too but I I think there's something really um I don't know how to put it, but just that the ground is constantly shifting under your feet and the social alliances are constantly changing. I mean, I just remember being in sixth grade and seventh grade and like your best friend one week might hate your guts the next week because of something somebody said about you that wasn't true, you know, but it's like, yeah. Oh man. Yeah. This reminds me of a moment in the play where Zuzu and Amina they're having this conversation mm-hmm. where Zuzu tells me, you know what? I can't talk about dance with you anymore. Like, I just right. can't. Like, I, right. I, you're great. I love you. I, I think you're awesome. But I can't talk to you right now. Right. <laughs> and then there's something that was painful to read because dance was this huge connection, but this level of competitiveness. And the mm-hmm. way – you're, you're able to read between the lines. Like, mm-hmm. obviously sh- – Amina is using words like, oh, Russia is better than Akron, Ohio. I'm sorry. Like, you know, something <laughs> you could just sort of read between the lines of mm-hmm. of Amina expressing to Zuzu that I'm better than you. Sorry. And Zuzu understanding that just by the words that she's or the way she's saying things or reacting or commenting on the way she's saying things. And then so that's why when she comes out and says, like, you know what? I can't talk to you about dance. Mm-hmm. It, it's just too much it's too stressful <laughs> like I can't well and also there's this lack of social awareness too I mean sometimes they're hyper aware and other times they're so clueless like when Amina is yeah. saying um Amina's like well it's harder for me when I mess up because I am better <laughs> so I'm expected right. to be better right. right and then the other girls are like that's really mean and Amina doesn't doesn't recognize why that would be hurtful um. Uh, so good. I know being a girl sucks. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's hard. I love. I think one of my favorite moments in, in the. I have a couple, but I really love when Luke asks Zuzu towards the end how she wants to lose her virginity, and she's like has this whole fantasy about buying a house, <laughs> and like, and like figuring out where to put the furniture and then lying down on the floor with her fiance at age 23 and like Mm. and like the actual losing the virginity is such a small blip in this greater dream she has but the thing that I really really loved about it was that she's her fantasy of having a house is that she will have a trellis (laughs) I mean it's just like that kind of specificity I think Yeah. yeah is really a gem in this play that that like yeah she she uses these really really specific images to get at what the girls dream of this now that you mentioned that her her whole speech about losing her virginity it made me think about this like ted talk about time and how young people how they perceive time is so differently as an adult. Like how oh, wow. 
you know, like how young kids are like, oh, you know, like high school, college, you know, it's all like so far ahead in their life. But then when you look back as an adult, like, wow, that was really fast. Like I was mm. 21 really quickly or 22. And it's just how time is perceived. So that her idea of like losing her virginity, <laughs> like a trellis, mm-hmm. I, I was just like, yeah, I'm just like, for me, when I was like, that age or like I was when I'm thinking like oh high school prom feels like decades from now like when is high school prom gonna be you know like I remember feeling so far away from me like that's that's so I in terms of how yeah this writer captured these young kids their young um their attitudes about life it was just yeah so it was just so relatable that that yeah. feeling well, we've taken almost all our time on things we liked, but what questions <laughs> do you have about the play? Yeah, I think that I, and then maybe this is the direction, even though it was stated in the stage, but the, how creepy is dance teacher Pat supposed to be? Mm-hmm. Because there's a poem where, where I know he like pats one of the girl's butt and then yeah. the stage manager says like, it's not supposed to be like creepy weird, but it's just kind of weird that an adult is patting a kid's butt, you know, like it's just yeah. weird. And then, and so I was just like, I mean, in the stage reduction, because there's an emphasis on that for some reason, like I wondered, is it because where the world is at, you know, more cases on pedophilia has come out over them, you know, and like all these like scandals that maybe the world has thinks that any like weird thing that happens is like we overthink it i'm like oh my god he's just he's a he's a predator but Mm -hmm. it's like but then i i was just kind of wondering like as a performer like other than being like really over the top and aggressive like Mm -hmm. there's some underlying thing about the creepiness that well i do kind of wonder because she wrote this play before me too and Mm. i think for a long time especially in the dance world or in the theater world, you know, any kind of performing arts, yeah. this kind of intimate physical contact between, you know, mentors and young people or teachers and students was, um, was just accepted, even though it is really creepy and gross and disturbing, you know, but, but when you're a young person, you don't know what's okay and what's not okay. And so I think I love how Claire Barron captures the confusion and ambiguity of that moment for Amina. Like she doesn't, she's horrified, but also she knows that she's been singled out in this really special way. And so there's something Mm. exciting about that. Um, And, and just the way that this adult is preying on her own, like I don't know I don't even want to say like burgeoning sexuality because it feels like it's more emotional than that but yeah um, mm-hmm. I I mean to me he seemed super creepy and emotionally manipulative especially the the way he's trying to play the girls against each other and yeah. um he's so cruel to Zuzu mm-hmm. but also it's like it's so normalized Mm -hmm. it's like it's like this really kind of horrible creepiness that is also very common so yeah 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 there was something like an element of danger that he just constantly 
um, was like projecting all amongst the girls. Like you don't know when he's just gonna start like snapping and like throwing things at them. <laughs> like there was right. just, um, but yeah, that's. But at the same time, I was just I was laughing my head off at everything he was saying. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's horrible. And and just like that feeling of being chosen by a man, I think for mm. girls that age is. Okay, this is I'm having a flashback. So when I was in high school, I took this Aikido class and the guy who taught I know, I know, it was like the one PE class that I was even mildly interested in. Um but the guy who taught it was like, you know, some he was like this veteran who had found Aikido and was like very passionate about it. And he would call occasionally this was all girls the class Uh because I went to a girl school but he would occasionally call a girl killer like he would be like slow down killer or something like that and like one time I it was either before or after class I remember here like overhearing these two girls talking about like oh well he called me killer not just you (laughs) and I was just like thinking this is so weird like that this thing that he kind of said offhand as like, um, you know, kind of without even thinking about it, had so much resonance and weight for these girls that it was a yeah. signal of like favoritism or affection that they were hungry for. Like um, seeking approval. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and I just remember thinking like, I mean, there's almost a way in which I think this kind of man teaching young girls isn't even aware of how, or maybe he is, and maybe he's totally using that. But, but I think there's also a level at which he's like not even aware of how hungry they are for his affection. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. And, and I think that's why that kind of physical touch is so disturbing because you're really not sure, like, is he deliberately manipulating that or not? Hmm. Yeah, uh, I I think he's definitely manipulative. Yeah. Yeah, it's very creepy. <laughs> um, what questions do you have about the play? Um. Well, I had a I had a couple questions. It seemed like there were a lot of threads that didn't come back. Like um there's this girl at the very beginning in the first scene who gets injured. Her name is Vanessa and we never see her again. Mm-hmm. Um and then there's this other moment where two of the girls now I can't remember. Oh, I think it's Ashley and Sophia, maybe. I'm not sure. But two of them are kind of waiting after the competition for their moms to come pick them up. And they see this guy across the street who's kind of like ogling them in this weird way. And he comes towards them and they run away. And I thought something bad was going to happen, but then nothing happens. And then it goes on to the next scene. Um, and 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 so it just seemed like there were these moments throughout that um, – that were more that felt more like a collection or an accumulation of images from girlhood mm. that didn't actually build narratively yeah. which i thought was really interesting i mean 
after reading it, when I was done and I realized that, oh, some things are not coming back in this play, mm-hmm. um, I liked that. I liked that it didn't all have to connect and that, that you know, it there are kind of inexplicable things. Yeah, it w- definitely wasn't this like traditional uh, linear thing right. that's happening. I mean, I think them rehearsing and uh, or getting the part of Gandhi and building up this <laughs> moment of this big dance piece, the the competition, like we saw that progression. Yeah, uh, but it wasn't this like traditional linear narrative play, you know. Um, it, yeah. I think I, I kind of loved how this play opened up with like Vanessa. She gets hurt and she never comes back again. <laughs> like, yeah. Because it, it, I mean, it, it created this like, oh, here's what dance like mm-hmm. means. Like, here's the problem of like, if you harm it, you, you can't compete. You can't be part of this group. Um, well, and the idea that this girl broke her leg and they're all going to yeah. keep doing it you know and the and the dance teacher pat is like that's what happens when you don't roll through your feet (laughs) it's like there's this danger hanging over all of them yes oh this also reminds me my another favorite moment uh when one of the girls i forgot which one but her period starts during the dance competition and it's just like and it it was this feeling kind of going back to vanessa where we must go on, like no matter what, <laughs> yes. and we're being fierce oh and gosh. like, sorry if you're weak, you broke. We, we like, you, you, we're gonna keep moving on. Um, even when Zuzu fell or she like had um, a stage fright of some kind, and Amina just steps up and takes her dance and mm-hmm. just like this constant like we're gonna keep moving on no matter what. You, um, sorry, like this is the the world of dance and you're either with us or you're like falling behind us or something. Uh, Yeah, that's, gosh, the war paint. I was just like, oh, gross. Yeah, she she put it on her face. face. (laughs) I would love to see how the designers create that contraption of like, just like blood flowing and taking that blood and yeah. I love it. I just wanted to see that whole scene. It reminded me of, were you in that workshop at Iowa, I I can't remember who this was, but somebody came and did a workshop with us and he was talking about how he had taught a class one time where they were exploring the concept of um, free speech and he gave everyone a copy of the Constitution. <laughs> he was like, do a performance with this. And one student in the class had her period and she like reached in her pants and like <laughs> got some blood and then spread it on the Constitution. And like, there's this real, what? yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I wish I could remember who this was, but, um, but there was this real crisis in the class because, you know, here's this document celebrating free speech and you, you know, as an artist, you don't want to censor people, but, but there, you know, people were really, really upset and bothered. Where the hell was I? <laughs> I you don't, don't remember, remember this. I do not remember this. Oh my gosh! Or maybe I mean I it maybe it was there, but like everything I I was like, this is so ridiculous. Okay, not gonna keep it in my memory. <laughs> <laughs> it, I that happens to me all the time. Um, that what that is. I that's what I mean. I think that that's so crazy. Wow. Yeah. 
I love blood on stage. And like even um, better, period blood. Ugh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, gross. But you can't have a play about 13-year-old girls where you don't. Well, I was going to say where you don't talk about periods, but maybe even further where you don't actually like see the blood. Yeah. Ugh, I was the first girl in my entire class to have my period. It was That's horrible. I'm so sorry. It was just like no one I was just like I don't I honestly thought like I don't think anyone understands what this is. Uh, like I just remember thinking like and it was like like I'm never going to talk about this to anybody because I don't think anybody understands because right now everyone is just talking about Spice Girls and But like Lollipop. how do you know do you how do you know for sure you were the first one? I I I'm Isn't it possible sure. there was another girl who was who also thought nobody else knows what this is and like only only because it was fifth grade and it was that whole like bees in um uh, the talk and the I birds and the bees birds and the bees talk and all the boys and the girls separated and the teacher brought like for the girls were all talking about it and I'm like I'm like, I think for me, I was sitting there. I'm like, I think this is what they're talking about is the, that once a month time that I have. And I was like, <laughs> in my head. And I just remember all the girls just being like very confused and like very, because oh, I, wow. I, I just remember this feeling. That's so like, lonely. Yeah. And then I remember girls raising her hand. I'm like, oh, maybe she, maybe she's going through what I'm going through. And she was just like, her question was just like all hypothetical or like she was asking like, so when this happens, what do I do? <laughs> you know, like it's like no one, everyone's like, yeah, like this sounds horrible. What do we do? Like everyone's like wanting to know the steps of what to do, you know? And I was yeah. just like, in my head, I was just like, I know what to do and I don't want to <laughs> say it. If I do say yeah. it, I'll know that it's right. I, this is happening to me as we speak. <laughs> you know, I just, yeah, I just, yeah. It, and because you're made to feel so ashamed like it's some terrible secret yeah yeah um let me yeah it's yeah i think you captured that as like to feel like you're the only person that's just going through this and it wasn't until like high school then it was just like oh okay it's a normal thing girls are like sharing their feminine hygienic products together and like oh you know (laughs) (laughs) like middle school is just like it's just like I honestly think that was like I I was like an abnormal thing. I think I just started earlier than most girls because it was just in my family. Everyone in my family just started a lot earlier than anticipated. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but like that doesn't make it abnormal. That's it could still be normal. Just like yeah, it's a range, you know. Yeah. Oh man, yeah. This play really brought back what it feels like <laughs> to me. <laughs> Oh, man. Um, did you write a play inspired by this? I think I, I will. I feel like I should. Oh, okay. But it hasn't happened yet. Okay. I did write one. You did? <gasps> but I'm not, I'm not going to read it. Oh, my gosh. I forgot that we said we were going to do that. Uh, read I mean, it. Okay. Should I – well, sorry, listeners. We, like, should have talked about this beforehand. Um, should I just briefly talk about what it is? I think you should read it. Read it? Okay. 
I'm I I totally oh. forgot until just this moment that I said I was going to do that, and it was my idea. Oh my gosh, yeah. I'm so <laughs> okay. bad. I'll there's just two characters. I'll uh I'll just read it. Um, okay, so here's the stage. Five grown-ass women all line up in a row with their favorite canine by their side. Please <laughs> note, the dogs are not real. They are clearly stuffed animals. And there's a god mic. Ladies and gentlemen, we are excited to present to you all the semi-finalists of the best doggy mommies. Each doggy mommy will come up to the stage and tell us why they should win in 10 seconds. First up, Judith. And Judith <laughs> picks up her dog, Coco, and walks up to the podium. She says... Thank you, judges. I am incredibly honored. Uh, I believe I should win because I did not lie or cheat during the entire competition. Uh, it was all <laughs> real blood and sweat and tears. All these women up here today are backstabbers. They are not here for their dogs. They are here for themselves. I love Coco more than anything else in the world. I love Coco more than my own husband and dare I say it, my three <laughs> children. Uh, Coco does not judge. Coco does not lie. Coco does not cheat. Coco is my best friend. And the god Micah, okay, thank you. Your time is up. No, Coco will never hurt me, even when she knows all my flaws. And Judith, your time is up. Please stop talking. <laughs> no, I will never stop talking as long as Coco is alive. And the god Micah, uh, security, could we please take this woman off the stage? <laughs> that was it. I love it. I just totally made up like a doggy mommy. Uh, I love it. Um, that's amazing. And I think that's the big thing that resonated with me with the play was that female competition, this sort of all these girls, how they really feel about each other or like not feel, they don't know how they feel about it, they know how to express it or something. Yeah. And I just sort of took that as a adult grown ass women and they're just now projecting. Um, and the question of, you know, what you competing what you are competing in is like who cares the most, you know, who yeah. and who can express their level of caring the best. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's really good. <laughs> I wrote that in like 10 minutes right before this. Oh my gosh. Really I can't believe I completely forgot. I'm so sorry. Okay. Well, I'll have we have next many time. plays upcoming in yeah the next it's year, true so we have a lot of opportunities i want to share a quote from our um previous guest tanuja about Ooh, this play yes. um so thank you tanuja for reading the play and sending us in a comment um so she says um i'm personally intrigued by the line between exploitation and empowerment that this play straddles and seems to call attention to I feel like it raises good questions around attaching power and empowerment to a body part. And then she talks about um, the teacher making them all compete for a dance role that then just becomes sitting there when Connie gets the role <laughs> because she's cast as Gandhi and then her only job is to just sit there, even though as the stage direction say, she's a talented dancer, but, um, but then it, this other role is created for Zuzu that's mm. the spirit of Gandhi. But anyway, Tanuja says, I saw many parallels to the playwriting industry and the toxic nonprofit culture in general. <laughs> Did you see any parallels, Sarah? I'm really curious if we can unpack that a little bit. Like, Yeah. Um, 
just this idea of competition. And- I think the idea of competition. Yeah. Um, it's really funny about the whole nonprofit culture because just recently I've been more involved in the nonprofit world mm-hmm. um, and how nonprofits, there's only so much money, I guess. And if there are mm-hmm. similar nonprofits that exist competing for that funding, right? Mm-hmm. There's this constant like, oh, we came here before these guys and these guys are copying us and these guys are like, they're taking our model and they think they're projecting in this way or, you know, this is like a lot of that. And it's like justifying why we're important. Like, Mm -hmm. and there's something there that the, that these girls in dance nation are, it's like they're having to justify why they deserve that, that, part that rule or that yeah. that approval um yeah oh, so funny talk yeah um and i guess that's that's the only way i'm thinking about it um well and also i think it's really interesting that she brings up this duality of exploitation and empowerment because mm-hmm. a lot of times something that purports to be empowering or maybe looks empowering on its surface is really just um, exploiting young bodies or or young people, you know, or young women in a way that gives power to the people who are in charge of those mm. young women, and and it's really exploitative, even if it seems like it's empowering them. Mm-hmm. Right, because I think what maybe this is a question part. But like what we don't know is dance teacher Pat is what does he get out of these girls mm-hmm. winning? Like why does he want them to win so badly this competition? And what does that what will that bring him? Mm-hmm. Um, maybe it's that fame and glory. Like wow, the best choreography uh, was from created by this teacher. Um, mm-hmm. Or like he's able to control all these young women. <laughs> yeah. Um. I don't know. Such a good good thoughts. Good yeah. question. Makes me want to think about it more. Well, listeners, we want to hear from more of you. So tell us what else you thought about Dance Nation. What questions came up for you? And what did you like? What moments stood out to you, etc.? And for those of you who have read or seen any other of Claire Barron's plays, we'd love to know any similarities you noticed across her body of work. Sweet. Um, With that said, our next month's play, to give you all some time to grab this play and read before our next play discussion, is... I'll do the drum roll again. Drum roll. (laughs) is Ching Chong Chinaman by Lauren Yi. And this is a play that I feel like it's been on my read to do list for, I don't know, for years is what it feels like. So I'm really excited to read it and talk about it. Um, Yeah. Me too. Yeah. Yay. So send us your ideas about this play. And if any of you have seen it, we'd love to know specific details of the production you saw. Yeah. That resonated with you. 
Yay. All right. Our favorite part of the show. Glistens. Glistens. Yes. What's your glisten, Sarah? Holy cow. Um, I am hooked on a podcast called Crime Junkie. <laughs> it's now I'm I I'm not a huge listener of these like serial killers and and murders and conspiracies and all the things. I mean, I like to watch them once in a while like i watched the first season of mindhunter but it's not something i like look i'm like constantly looking for but Mm -hmm. crime junkie is crazy good um and it's all what i just said is about circular murders and conspiracy theories um (laughs) and i've i've been listening to it nonstop like 48 hours straight i would just play in the background i'm like listening my for during my drives to work it's not, I'm just constantly listening to it. And I think it's part of it is it's just really well written. It's these two co-hosts. And they they pick a story or a murder or a serial killer and they just sort of go through like investigators and like Whoa. hear the evidence. Here's Isn't what it happened. disturbing? Here's, so disturbing. But why I, do you enjoy that? I don't know. I honestly don't know. <laughs> and I'm sure they did a whole study about women and serial killers and why <laughs> women are so into it. And like, you know, I don't know. I'm because my, all my coworkers right now at my, one of my jobs is we cannot stop listening to the show. We, this is how obsessed we are. We, I downloaded, uh, if I go missing packet where I oh fill out God. information. So if I ever go missing, Jeez. my loved one would know all the information who I, who was my last ex? Who where, where where are my where do I work? Where where do I go every week? You know, like everything. If I go miss, like this is how this show has gotten me into that point of obsession. <laughs> it's just like I can't help it. Wow, it's so insane. basically what you're saying is you're a crime junkie junkie. Yeah, I'm a total crime junkie junkie. <laughs> yeah, it's ugh, it's yeah. It kind of goes back to like when I was a kid. I really loved. 2020 Barbara Walters and sometimes mm. they did like stories on like missing person and then like the mystery behind that like I, I always grew up loving that kind of stuff and so I think it kind of taps into that interest but to a point that it's really unhealthy because <laughs> like because now I like everything I like do or see like one time I actually stepped over like a bag of trash and I thought it was a dead mm-hmm. body and I screamed. Like, oh my, like, oh my God. God, it's a dead body. Like, it's it's really messed me up. Yeah. I, I wouldn't want to see the world that way. <sighs> well. Do you have nightmares? No, I don't have nightmares. But oh, that's I'm good. Just, I would have nightmares. I have, I, I have trust issues. Like, every person. I'm like, straight. I'm like, <laughs> you're a murderer. You gonna try oh to trick me, put me in the trunk of your car, and then taking me away from my life <laughs> and if you live in a city it's just like that's like everywhere you turn is just a weirdo <laughs> so. or the country or the country oh yeah everywhere. oh well yeah I'm, I'm starting to learn that it's like rural areas sam yeah way more dangerous more dangerous so i highly recommend you creating a if i go missing packet <laughs> so, <laughs> let me make sure one um, of us knows not gonna do that okay people well. just wonder I'll be like, remember Sam? Remember what <laughs> happened? No! <laughs> oh my goodness. 
Um, okay. What's your, well, okay. Your glisten. My glisten is um, I found this lecture by Toni Morrison um, that I showed my students, and it's about the idea of goodness and altruism in literature. Um, I showed this lecture to my students, and the feedback I got was that <laughs> why isn't she more entertaining? like a TED talk <laughs> um, because I think that mostly now people are used to watching like really snazzy, jazzy TED talk like videos um, and she's much more kind of calm and contemplative. Um, so I guess I will say if you are listening to this and you're like under the age of 23, it might not be your cup of tea. However, I think it's a really, um, really beautiful lecture. She starts out by talking about this mass shooting that was done in an Amish community um, where by a shooter who is not Amish, where the community, rather than seeking revenge on the shooter's family, actually embraced the widow and children of the killer and um, sought to comfort them and, and raise money for them to support them. And, um, and so she, so this, yeah. So she was so taken by this reaction to horrific violence that she started looking for representations of goodness in literature. And, And she became kind of fascinated with the question of why, we're so much more smitten. Well, this goes right into your crime junkie podcast. She's like, she's, she's kind of wondering why we're so much more fascinated by and smitten with evil and curious about evil rather than curious about goodness and what makes mm. people good. Um, and why a lot of times in literature or movies, characters who do evil have a lot of language to explain their evil or to make it really clever, compelling. And characters who do good often don't describe the nature of goodness or why they are doing good. Mm-hmm. And so and so then she looks at her own work and she's kind of um, excavating examples of goodness in her own work. And it's really an incredible lecture. And it's available by a video and also was published by the New York times last year. So you can find it in text oh, too. And I, awesome. I really, yeah, I really encourage it. Yeah. Good idea. We'll link it out. Yeah. But, um, I, but you know, she's quite elderly and so she's not going to be strutting around the stage showing you PowerPoints. So if you're used to a Ted talk, just know that. Mm-hmm. Cool. Um, I have a, I have a answer a response to that. Evil is cool. Good is boring. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, that's, that is a major theme in her lecture, a major question. Why do we find evil so exciting? And why do we find goodness so boring? I think it's so fun to... Well, I'm not saying it's fun. It's not fun, but it's... It creates a... You're creating the story in your mind how bad this is. And there's mm-hmm. something like, I, I can't stop thinking about it. And I'm like, I want to... It it takes my mind to a very scary, dangerous place, and then maybe it's not healthy. But it's, <laughs> it it must be adrenaline. It must it, be like it the, could be adrenaline. I really think yeah. it is adrenaline. Where I yeah. I'm on the edge of my seat. I'm like, oh, did they find her or did they do like what if you know that question is like 
enticing than, you know, mm-hmm. than good. <laughs> or we think we can protect ourselves somehow by somehow. understanding the root of evil. Yeah. And maybe because we're like, maybe there's like an instinct in us of like survivalist mode or something. And you're mm-hmm. like, I'm okay. I'm going to outsmart the killer this way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I'm not going to yeah, be that probably. victim. You know, so there's something. <sighs> wow. Anyways, this is it. Great talk. Um, thanks for listening thanks for listening don't forget to share and like us and do all those things on all the social media platforms even though sam just told me she might get off all (laughs) platforms which i was like wait a minute hold on a second i don't know Um, i'm over it oh come on (laughs) okay bye folks